0: Wednesday, March 21st, 2018. This is Born to Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I'm your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. I want to remind you of our Veteran of the Day post that goes out each and every day. It goes out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course our blog, blogs.va.gov. You can nominate a veteran for Veteran of the Day by emailing us at newmedia@va.gov at va.gov and providing us basic service information about the veteran along with three to five photos of the individual uh, with at least one in uniform. It's not required, but if we can get one in uniform, the, you know that uh, always works better with the graphic. Uh, the basic service information we're looking for is years of service, branch, and uh, any deployments, tours, notable awards, medals, etc. Uh, Just sort of an overall snapshot of who this veteran is, what their service looked like, the experiences they had. Feel free to throw in any other unique information about the individual, uh, including stuff from their time in or what they're doing now, if there's something that's notable uh, in that sense. This week's interview is the third installment of our Women's Veteran Athlete Initiative, put on by the Center for Women Veterans here at VA. I'm going to be talking to Candice Caesar. She is an Army veteran uh, that suffered injuries in a car accident while serving in Germany, and has now uh, is using sports and, and athleticism and fitness and, and uh, every other word that I can come up to to uh, to describe that that realm uh to overcome and to comfort herself and to to enjoy life and she's going to talk to us about her service she's going to tell us about that accident and she's going to tell us about her journey to trying to compete in 50 out of 50 states and uh and also in, in even more aspiring uh goal that uh, it'll bring her around the globe but i'll let her tell you about that this is army veteran candace caesar enjoy there are nearly two million women veterans who served and deserve the best care anywhere. VA is dedicated to meeting the unique needs of all women veterans. VA offers comprehensive primary care and women's health specialty care. Women veterans who are interested in receiving care at VA should call the Women Veterans Call Center at 855-VA-WOMEN or contact the nearest VA Medical Center and ask for the Women Veterans Program Manager. Visit www.va.gov womenvet women Uh, all right, Candice Caesar, Army veteran, uh, part of the Women Veterans Athlete Initiative put on by the Center uh, for Women Veterans here at VA. Candice, thank you so much for joining me. Hi. Um So, Candice, we, we start each interview with the, with the same question, the same idea. All of us veterans have one thing in common, and that's the decision to join the United States military. Can you bring us back to that decision for you?
1: That decision for me to join the military happened in 1994, actually. I was in college, and I was in the ROTC program, and I decided that I was ready to start my new life and ready to serve my country as an enlisted soldier. I wanted to eventually become an officer, but I felt that the best way for me to become a leader was to actually experience what it would be like to be led. As a soldier, as an enlisted
0: soldier. That's interesting. So so you you were interested in the followership of the military? Yes. Yeah, what so what what about that intrigued you? What 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 um what inspired you? Just dig into that idea a little bit more of, of wanting to be a follower and being led versus being an officer and pos- and probably leading?
1: Well, actually, I don't know where I got this from, but I always thought that the best way to become a leader is to be a great follower. And if I would be able to understand the other side, like being led, I could be a better leader because I would have experience in what the people who will be following me would experience. So that would help me to foster. I have an identity I'd be able to identify with my followers because I had, if I had been one, then of course I could identify with them. Yeah. So that's where I got that from.
0: Sure. Uh, well then I, I think, I think you're prepared for this next question. Tell tell me about a great leader or a close friend that you had in the military. You can choose either one, but tell me about that person.
1: Actually, the great leader ended up being a great friend. Um, my NCO, Sergeant Collado, who actually is pronounced Sergeant Koyalu, but, um, Sergeant C., was my second, my third, my third NCO. Um, I think that was my second tour. And he was a PAC NCO. And it was very interesting to see a man do paperwork. I mean, that in the military, it's like, okay, yeah, you have men everywhere, but usually you expect to see women in the office. But he was a great leader. Um, and the reason I thought he was such a great leader is because, one, he led by example. If it was something that he told us to do, I mean, we actually saw him in action. He actually worked along the side of us and did things. He didn't just bark out orders and say, this is what I want you to do. He's like, this is what I want you to do. And you're like, what the heck are you doing? He was like, well, I'm going to do it too. We're a team. And I was just like, wow, that's amazing. Um, On a personal level. I mean, I had all kind of issues when I was a young soldier. I was a new mom, and I remember one day I was going to be missing. I was going to miss movement. I was going to go be AWOL because we were supposed to get up and leave for the field. And I didn't know what to do. I woke up. My son had a hundred and one fever, and he was very small. He was like three or four months, and I was freaked out. I was like, "Oh my God, I'm going to miss movement. What am I supposed to do?" And he was like, "Take your kid to the emergency room." I'm like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and something so simple is like you told me where you are. I've got it covered. Just do what you need to do, and I was just like baffled. I was like, but you know, the military concept is if you know they wanted you to have a family, they would have issued you one, and right. so that's what I actually believed. And I was just like, oh my god, I'm gonna miss. I'm gonna. Oh, this is terrible. And he was like, oh god, take care of yourself. We got this. As soon as you can get an opportunity to to get your kids stabilized. If you can come, come on. If not, they've got stuff for you to do back in the rear. I was
0: like, okay. Yeah, so, so you touched Sorry. on it uh, a little bit there with um, with being a mother, but you know the name of the program is Born the Battle. And we know not every veteran sees actual combat, but we all face some sort of sacrifice, adversary, some sort of challenge. Um, can you tell us a little bit about an experience you had that's akin to that and, and how you dealt with it?
1: The only thing that I can think of. I mean, being separated from your family is hard. Um, Being, hmm, I've got two. So I think the better one would be after my injury because that was really, really hard for me. Um, I was a non-commissioned officer, so I had soldiers and I had nine soldiers. And it was hard, very hard for me not to be able to pick up my rifle and join them. Um, September 11th, I was on active duty. And I had broken my neck December 99. So I worked in the orderly room. So I was already removed from my soldiers in the S1 shop because they felt that I couldn't keep up with the high pace. That was hard. So changing my job to something, I felt like um, I was something less than what I was because I was unable to fully function in my job. Well, I actually could fully function. Well. I thought that I could I had a traumatic brain injury, along with my physical abilities, so my cognitive ability was a little skewed at that time, especially at the initial portion of my my accident. But having to switch my job was like detrimental to my health like i I had issues dealing with that, but this one particular day, I remembered that. The soldiers were all be called back from leave, people were on guard duty, and there was nothing for me to do and I felt useless. But it but um this particular day because nobody expect people expected to go home after work, but they didn't expect the post to be locked down. Kids were at the daycare center, the dependents were taking care of the the kids at the daycare center. They were unable to go home to their families. I don't know what Their food situation was like, but I know for a lot of us, um, it's like, what are we going to do with the people that are on the shift that need to eat? So what I decided to do was I decided to go out and feed them. (laughs) I decided to do what I could do within my realm just to help somebody else, to make their time better. Look, you need to be relieved. I can't hold a weapon and relieve you, but I can bring you something to make you feel better. And that's how I dealt with it. My job in the military, it was to serve. Um, an NCO told me, well, not an NCO, my class um, PAS three two. I was a personal administration specialist in AIT, and our motto was the best supports the rest. And so that's what I relied on. I went back to that motto, although I couldn't remember who my mom was or that I had a husband with a traumatic brain injury. I remembered that the best supported the rest, and that's what I did. That's how I was able to overcome that time. Um, that I served when I was
0: injured. Yeah. And, you know, just so that, you know, you mentioned that you, you, you you suffered an injury. Can you just, can you briefly describe what happened? So that, so the audience uh, has a little context. into what you just, what you just shared.
1: Sure. Um, December 5th, 1999. I can't tell you where I was going. I don't remember, but I can tell you that I was in a vehicle with uh, my ex-husband and two other NCOs. One NCO was behind me. We were, driving somewhere in Germany. I think we were going to Schweinfurt. I don't remember. But we skid on black ice. And as we were skidding, the axle broke. The front axle broke and the vehicle flipped over multiple times. The NCO behind me wasn't wearing a seatbelt. I broke C67. I sustained a traumatic brain injury. I sustained a punctured lung. And S1 was also damaged. Um, They kicked out the front windshield because they thought that the vehicle was going to blow up. They pulled me out, placed me on the ground. I got hypothermia, which was a blessing because that reduced the swelling in my brain. So my injuries would be a lot worse. I now suffer from tetraplegia. I have, it's like right side hemiparesis. So I have foot drop. Um, I have paralysis in my hand, arm, all the large muscles in my leg, hamstrings, quadriceps, pep flexors, quads. I mean, I said that.
0: Um and cast. Um and the you know, you mentioned the the passenger behind you was not wearing uh their seatbelt and the significance of that is they, they then launched into you causing uh much of these injuries, right? Yes, that's yeah. correct. Um so you so you, you suffered these injuries, you still found a way to serve um, you know, uh while you were in the military. Um was this um you were then medically retired, is that right? I was. So tell us I was medically retired yeah. in 2002. Okay. Um you know, just tell us tell us about that transition. you have, you have to, you know, overcome these injuries and, and heal and learn how to live with them and then you know, transitioning out of the military, we know that's that's tough on multiple accounts. Can you just uh can you just recall your transition and, and uh how you felt about it?
1: <laughs> For a lack of a better word transition, sunk. it was terrible. Um but I made the most of it because in the military you're taught to adapt and overcome. So the first thing I did was I researched. Um, I had to figure out what type of career I needed to do in order to separate, in order to support my family. And so my speech therapist was actually instrumental in helping me because I decided to go back to school to become a speech language pathologist. I um, figured out when school would start. Um, I Um, they told me I was going to be medically boarded. I didn't want to be medically boarded. I wanted to be put together and put back to work. I had decided that I wanted to stay in the military. And since I couldn't do my job, my mom had always told me those who can do and those who can't teach. So I was like, I'll be a teacher. I'll teach at AIT or something like that. And they're like, no, we're going to medically retire you. So I was pretty depressed about that. But I said, okay, fine. I'm going to go ahead and try this new career field. When I was medically retired, I kind of planned my leave and my transition such that I got home Friday and I will never forget it. Monday, I started classes. I walked with a flatbed cane and a crutch. It was very hard for me to carry books. So, I mean, things were hard. I didn't really have support from like a military group or a veteran group. All I had was my four-year-old son and my mother and my aunt. My father passed away like a few years before I was medically retired and he was a Vietnam vet, but I had no other support. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do it. And I found refuge in my college studies. While I was there, I went to the veteran service office and the veteran service office its one of those places where they teach you about your educational benefits, and so I began working there and What was so cool about that was everyone in there was a veteran yeah. and so because they were veterans, we were able to talk and communicate, and that was how I was able to actually identify with my community because I needed people that understood me regular students, typical students that have not served don't get it. you come back, you're older uh. <laughs> I mean, you've had a different type of life and here, these kids are just leaving their home for the first time, never really having to take care of themselves. And they go to class and they think this is a cool thing to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So then how did you, um, how did you become, uh, how did you get back into athletics and, and, and um, getting involved in that? I've seen that you've uh, you've ran more than 25 marathons. Is that right? No, I have
1: not. Okay, I've run eleven marathons and forty-five half marathons, and I've done, I think, eight triathlons. So, um, as a para athlete, <laughs> hold, on.
0: hold so, on, go, go. With those. You said no, I have not. Like, no, it's not that. You, you trumped those numbers. Wait, can you say those again?
1: I've run eleven marathons in six states. I've run. 45 half marathons in 25 states, and I've completed eight
0: triathlons and two states. Okay, so so uh, the half marathons in 25 states, that's probably where I'm getting the number 25 from uh, mm-hmm. on on the, the notes that I have. Um, so you, are you going for 50 out of 50? You trying to... I am going for the 50
1: states, yes. Yeah. I, my goal is to run a half marathon, in all fifty states and DC, and I've already won DC. So, you've already
0: done, you've already done one in DC.
1: I have done DC. Yes, I did rock and roll DC. So
0: very well, very up. well. Um, I hope uh, I hope you enjoyed our nation's capital. Um, what? So, how did you get back into? Athletic. How did how did you what inspired you to get back into that? We know that military lifestyle, a lot of it is physical fitness. Um, after your transition and, and recovering from your injuries, what got you back into physical fitness?
1: <laughs> Actually, I have a bucket list and um I was dating a guy and on my bucket list to go to Vegas and I had never been to Vegas. So once I had gotten into Vegas, I was like, Oh God, I've been to Vegas. What else is on this list? And I scrolled through my bucket list and I'm like, Oh, I remember the day that they told me I would never walk again. I told the doctors that I was going to walk a marathon, not knowing that it was 26.2 miles, but I remember <laughs> those words coming. I remember those words coming out of my mouth and I was like, okay, I've got, it's time for me to do it. And then I looked around and I was like, well, my son is able to drive now. So if something happens during training, he's driven for a year. I feel safe and confident that I can ride with him in the car. If something happens to me while I'm training, but I've got to get this marathon done. And so February 1st, 2015, I completed my first marathon and I thought I was going to walk it, but I didn't, I started running. And this was before I realized that I was disabled. I mean, I knew that I had disability, I mean, but I didn't realize that there was like a category for para athletes. I didn't know about that until this past year. And so I went out there to walk this marathon. And the first thing they did was um, I joined a marathon training group right after I signed up, was they, at the beginning of the year, they have you do a 5K, 3.1 miles. And I was going to walk. Well, there was this older gentleman, and he was retired. He was about 85, and his body was kind of contorted. And he was running as fast as I was walking. And so I started to jog. And then finally, about mile two, he burned off and left me. And I was so upset that this old man beat me. And I was like, no, (laughs) you cannot beat me. So the next time we went back to training, I decided I was going to start running. And so I do the Um, Jeff Galloway method I run walk and um, that's how I started running and of course the marathon is kind of long and I found in the training that a half marathon is so much more fun
0: and now uh you enjoy the half marathon
1: oh my god I you know I wish I had known what the distance was but I've done 45 of those those are awesome
0: <laughs> yeah, very cool. I uh I'm yet to do uh any of those because uh I don't like running and running for <laughs> long periods of time uh on my own. Uh, on my own power does not uh it's hard for me i still have the marathon i also have a bit of a bucket list and i still have marathon on there and i know that every year that passes i'm less likely to be inspired to go do one but um it's it's still there i still feel like i maybe i owe it to my body to prove that it can still perform in such ways um and you and you can and what's wonderful about the marathon well i am
1: what they call um what do they call them? They call them turtle runners or whatever. I don't like to be called the turtle or whatever, but the people at the back of the Packers, that's what they call them as well. We have a party on the pavement. So we are at the back of the pack. I mean, the elite runners are gone. The people that run probably about a 10, 15, 10 to 13 minute pace, they're gone. Those that run a little bit slower or walk, And we do have fast walkers. We have a party on the pavement. We talk to each other. We have speakers. You can listen to music while you go. You can have conversations. It's about being active. It's not necessarily about being fast. My saying has always been, I'm not out there to compete. I'm out there to complete. And so when you, because you will, do your marathon, think about those back of the packers. It's a party on the pavement. It's just one day out of your life, you can go and have a blast. The training is a little brutal. But once you've done the training, you just go out there and have fun. My first marathon, the race director told me, go out, enjoy the sights, enjoy the sounds. When you feel like you can't go on, help somebody on the course. And that's what I did. I grabbed peppermints, I stuck them in my little utility belt, and I'd pass them out to people and I'd say little cute things and cheer them on and take selfies and That makes it fun. You're still active. You're doing what your body needs, and you're having fun, and you're uplifting someone else. And so in a way, it's kind of like still serving my community.
0: Yeah, I like that. I think you, you you may have just persuaded me to consider the marathon again. Uh, I like I like that party on the pavement thing. That sounds way more fun than trying to run a, a ten minute pace. Going, going, yes, yes. Um, are you are you been active with your local team RWB chapter?
1: Yes, I have been active with my team RWB chapter. Um, not as active as I'd like to be because I do lots and lots of traveling. So when I travel, I kind of hook up with other team RWB chapters, and I'm like, Hey, I'm coming to your area. And then I'll go hang out with them if they have activities to do. Then I'll participate in some of their activities as well. Yeah. Um, actually, I joined Team RWB because I was I had completed my second half marathon on my way to doing this first marathon, and I saw this guy, Benny, Benny, and he's in a wheelchair. He's an amputee, Marine vet, and he always wears his eagle and he had the American flag on the back of his wheelchair. Now it's not a push rim chair. It's like a regular wheelchair. And I was like, what the heck I'm going to catch him. Well, I don't know what I was thinking. I never did catch him, but I was like, (laughs) I like that eagle on the front of his shirt. What is that? And I'm like, and I couldn't see the the back. But when I got to the finish line, um, his wife was wearing an RWB shirt and it said, "Enriching the lives of veterans. And I was like, Oh my God, I want to join this. Like I'm a veteran. And I wish I had known about them when I first got out. I mean, that would have kept me out of bed. I was pretty busy with the schoolwork, but when I wasn't doing schoolwork, I was laying in bed depressed. I mean, I didn't do any physical activity. It was very hard for me. And um, I think participating with them and talking with them, I probably would have recovered and become active
0: faster. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it Team RWB is a great. It's like a it's a it's like a, a membership. It's like having a gym membership that travels, right? But you know, we're yeah, um, we're <laughs> like you know like you, you know like uh what is it, like gold gym and stuff like that. Like you know like you know you have a- our power fit. Like you have access to all of our locations nationwide. Well, Team RWB is much like that. Only it's free and a lot more welcoming. Um, and you can go to any community. You hit up their uh their Facebook group or their or or um you can go to Team R D B to get chat information you let them know you're in the area and and, and boom now you have a group of people to uh, to stay active with and I think that you know and you I'd like to hear your thoughts on this but I think a lot of people um, travel is one of the challenges on on staying active you can still get caught up in your travel and where you are and stuff like that that having the discipline to make sure you take your morning run or your evening yoga or whatever it may be is a little more difficult um, just, so I'm assuming that, you know, getting involved in local Team RWB chapter is a way that you keep yourself accountable for your for your fitness.
1: That is correct. I do. Um, and they also keep me accountable when I'm abroad. Um, so when – usually I tell people where I am because that's just a safety thing. It's like, hey, I'm here. I'm, I'm the only child. And so Team RWB – they're like my family. So I'm like, Hey mom, I'm leaving town. I'm going here. And one of my members will say, Hey, have you contacted the so-and-so chapter? I'm like, there's a chapter in that city. No, I haven't. Contact them. So I'll contact them. I'm Like, Hey, I'll be in your area. And they're like, Oh, well, welcome. Um, well, and they'll give me a lineup or they'll tell me where to look on their calendar to see what it is that they're doing. I, Definitely, when I was going to get my IDEO brace this past summer, I lived in San Antonio, and I stayed at the Fisher House on post, and I had an opportunity. There were several different groups in San Antonio that I got to hang out with. I cycled with one group. I hand cycled with another group. I went running with a different with another group, and they were all different times, different days of the week, but I was able to get with them And then I wanted to um, train for upcoming triathlon. So I contacted somebody in Austin. They're 45 minutes away. They're like, hey, we have a splash and dash. Why don't you come out and swim? I'm like, God, yes. But what's wonderful about this is I have now made a friend that I have in a different city for the rest of my life. I have somebody else to add to to my life. someone else I can confide in and participate with, and share, you know, military stories with because we tend to do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, d- what do you? So, g- give me one or two other like fitness, athletic uh, themed items that are on, that are still on your bucket list.
1: <laughs> okay, I want to actually do a 70.3, which is a half Ironman. So that's a half, that's 1.2 mile swim, a 56 mile bike ride and a half marathon. And I want to do that in Tempe, Arizona. And I'm actually hoping to complete that October 19th, 2019. Why did I pick Tempe? Because that's Arizona and that's a state that I'd like to claim. And I want to do a half marathon by doing the half Ironman. So that's one um i would actually like to <laughs> i want to run a half marathon on all seven continents
0: <laughs> on all seven <laughs> yes okay yes. very well have you uh have you have you how far have you gotten into logistically figuring that out
1: logistically i've got it it's just i need to make sure that i have the funds because gotcha. antarctica is going to cost me like eighty five hundred dollars and that's just for an opportunity to run if the weather's too bad then yeah. it gets cancelled. Yeah. So that's hard. <clears throat> that's hard. Um but I have I know which ones I'm gonna do and what time of year I'm going to do them. But I have to knock out these halves in these fifty states by twenty twenty two. So after twenty twenty I turn fifty then. And so once I complete that, then I'll go ahead and start the um the other
0: Okay, Candice, tell me, uh, give me an experience or a discipline or a skill set that you learned or uh, in the military that is contributing to your success today.
1: Flexibility and adaptability. Um, that the it, it falls back to the adapt and overcome. The nature of being in the military is basically you're here, you're doing such a great job. Oh, tomorrow or next week you're moving here. So you have to uproot your family or leave without your family and go somewhere else and start brand new. And that's basically what I had to do with my life. I went from being fully able to do everything that I wanted to do. And then I was unable to do anything and I had to learn how to adapt. So then I had to learn how to walk and then I had to learn how to run. And that is not something that they teach you when you medically retire. Basically, Back then, when I got out, it was about our job is to give you a a quality of life. You need to learn how to walk and that's it. Well, for me, my quality of life includes exercise and sit and be fit is not who I am. I need to get up and move. And so I had to figure out how to best make my body move. And that's what I did. I adapted and I overcame. I found people to help me to do those things. I didn't find a veteran organization at first. My first group was Fort Bend Fit, which was a marathon training group. And I understood the concept of running and pick up one foot and put the other one down. And this one particular day, I was running my first six miles and I failed three times. I'll never forget it. My coach was like, I don't think you're hydrated properly. And I'm like, no, I have foot drop. And he was like, then where the heck is your brace? You don't have a brace for that? I said, no. The VA gave me a brace for walking. They didn't give me a brace for running. And he was like, well, maybe you should go to a podiatrist. And so I went to a podiatrist and I told him what was going on. He was like, no, we can't help you. We can only give you an AFO. I don't know what to do. So then I Googled and I met this. I found this guy, this company in Canada, Turbomed, and they have an external outside brace. And that was my first running brace. And I asked him about it. I paid the money and he mailed it to me and I put it on my shoe and I went back out to run. And it was like, this is like heaven sent. I, I this is just awesome. And I just continue to use it. And then over time I've tried different devices, but adapting and overcome that's yeah. the skill.
0: Wonderful. Uh, and the last question, tell me about a veteran or a veteran organization that you're familiar with aside from team RWB uh, that has you excited about what they're doing right now.
1: The Paralyzed Veterans of America just popped into my mind. I don't know why, because I had never joined that group, but because partly because I didn't think I belonged, but they um, empower veterans that with tools to lead full lives, um, veterans that have spinal cord injury or spinal cord dysfunction. They advocate for the quality of healthcare um, research and education. They, um, also advocate for like civil rights and benefits and things like that and they also have like this adapt they have adaptive sports and this past year I ran with my fellow spinal cord injury um, people they actually hand cycle most of them hand cycle but James and I are actually walking cards so it was pretty cool Of course, he's much faster than I am, but we ran the Army 10 miler. It was my first Army 10 miler, and I was super stoked and excited about it. And it was great having a community of people with spinal cord injuries where we all differ. Some of us are incomplete. Some of us are incomplete. Some of us actually walk, and others are in wheelchairs. But I didn't know that there were other people like me. Um, When I initially became injured i was like an anomaly was like oh you're walking with a spinal cord injury we don't see that here at the va everybody is in a wheelchair or something like that and i was like oh my god so i don't have anybody to participate with had i known then what i know now i would have joined the pva and i probably would have been active much sooner
0: yeah yeah pva is great um Probably the first time they've been uh, been brought up on uh, for that with that question, so it's uh, I'm, I'm happy to, to to get them a plug there. Uh, Candace, thank you so much for joining me. It was a really pleasure talking to you. I, I enjoyed learning about your service, learning about your transition and and uh, your in your life as an athlete. I hope to uh, hear about uh, about your success down in Tempe and uh, thank you for your service to our country and your continued service to inspiring veterans through uh, through what you do.
1: Well, thank you, and thank you also for having.
0: me. My grandfather served in World War II. Spending time with him were the best memories of my life. I became a physician at VA because of my grandfather, so I can help others like him. I can't imagine working with better doctors or a more dedicated staff. I'm fulfilling my life's mission with the help of my team and thanks to these veterans. I'm proud to be a doctor at VA and proud to honor my grandfather every day. Search VA Careers to find out more. And of course, if you're interested in meet, learning more about Candace and the other women veteran athletes that are a part of this initiative, you can go to va.gov slash women vet. And you can also learn more about the Center for Women Veterans there. Uh, there are some great photos uh, taken by Stacey Pearsall of the Veterans Portrait Project, who uh, was kind enough to photograph these athletes for the initiative, uh, and they, they turned out absolutely fantastic. So um, if anything, go over there to check out those photos and, and admire them. This week's Medal of Honor citation reading is uh, for Bruce McCandless, service in the U.S. Navy rank of commander, serving on the USS San Francisco. This was during World War II. The year of honor is 1942. Citation reads, For conspicuous gallantry and exceptionally distinguished service above and beyond the call of duty as a communications officer of the USS San Francisco in combat with enemy Japanese forces in the Battle of Savo Island, 12 to 13 November 1942. In the midst of a violent night engagement, the fire of a determined and desperate enemy seriously wounded Lieutenant Commander McCandless and rendered him unconscious, killed or wounded the Admiral and command his staff, the captain of the ship, the navigator, and all other personnel on the navigating and signal bridges. Faced with a lack of superior command upon his recovery and displaying superb initiative, he promptly assumed command of the ship and ordered her course and gunfire against overwhelmingly powerful force. With his superiors and other vessels unaware of the loss of their admiral, and challenged by his great responsibility, Lieutenant Commander McCandless boldly continued to engage the enemy and to lead our column of following vessels to great victory. Largely through his brilliant seamanship and great courage, the USS San Francisco was brought back to port, Save the fight again in the service of her country. We honor his service. That wraps up episode 90. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. There's a lot of great options for entertainment out there. So I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these powerful veterans. You can visit us online at blogs.va.gov to read more stories from our community. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at DEPTVetAffairs. And of course on Facebook, facebook.com slash Veterans Affairs. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off.